Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beyond everything else, the NBA is a workplace. Reminders of that fact are everywhere, and they're a big part of what drives interest in the league. These are unbelievable athletes playing the highest level basketball in the world, but they're also co-workers doing all the things that co-workers do. Tensions can flare between two all-stars who used to work together. A veteran will roll his eyes at something a teammate said. If you were to hear players venting to one another about their coach, you'd be amazed at how similar it sounds to the usual gripes about middle management. So you take all those typical workplace dynamics, the ambition, the politics, the passive aggressiveness, and you amplify the hell out of them. And you do that by televising everyone's work. Every mistake is picked apart on social media. It's an unending and merciless performance review. You make every raise a matter of public knowledge down to the last dollar. And that undercurrent of bitterness that runs between colleagues vying for the same promotion, you juice it with adrenaline and testosterone. So you surround those employees with reporters who will pry and pry, and then you detonate any response that veers from the company line. You bundle up all of that, and you drop it into the lap of anyone who would dare want to lead a team. Someone like... This guy. This is Damian Lillard, point guard of the Portland Trailblazers. I think the working life of, of any NBA player, you know, if you ask 10 guys, you probably get 10 different answers. I think a lot of it has to do with the makeup of the team, what kind of guys you're around, uh, what type of uh, staff you have as far as the coaching staff, the front office, because they're the, the people that shape the environment. You know, they, they choose what players come, what players go, and the type of environment that they want to have. That's all true, but Lillard is conveniently leaving out the influence of one crucial party in all this. The tone setter. Every team, for better or worse, has a player responsible for establishing standards. LeBron is one of them. So are Steph and Russ, and Lillard is in that same group. We're seeing evidence of that fact unfurl in real time. As Chris Haynes reported for ESPN.com, Lillard sought out a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Blazers owner Paul Allen, to discuss the direction of the franchise. Allen agreed. And so the team's owner came to the franchise point guard 
in part to explain himself. Think about that. Part of the reason Lillard was owed those kinds of answers is because so much of who the Blazers are, both consciously and unconsciously, comes from him. This is what putting your stamp on an organization looks like. He doesn't just have the jumper or the feel for the game. Lillard has command. And unlike some of his peers, he puts a lot of thought into how to use it. I'm Rob Mahoney, and you're listening to Breakaway. No player comes into the league fully formed, particularly in their understanding of how a locker room actually operates. College is its own world, one where the coach has all the capital and dictates all the terms. So authority to the NCAA athlete is wielded from the top down. NBA teams work a bit differently. There are veteran guys on every team who have their say. Certain stars and superstars just have more pull than others. Coaches have a big part to play in how a team conducts its business, but the personality of a locker room is its own counterbalancing force. Culture is a reflection of that personality. And when Lillard first came into the league in 2012, his first order of business was to soak up as much information as he could about the environment the Blazers had created. There wasn't much for him to say until he knew more. Day one for me, I'm... I'm a guy that's like anything that's new to me, I observe a lot first. So uh, when I first came around, I didn't I didn't say a whole lot. You know, my, I just wanted to remember people's names. I wanted to know whose job was what, you know, just so I know what people do. I knew everybody on the team already by name. You know, I've been a big fan of the NBA. I knew everybody on the team. I knew who they were. I knew what their game was. Um, but I was more just trying to figure out, like, you know, Coach Stotts. I want to see what kind of guy he is. Our assistants, I had never met any of them. So Lillard watched. And he saw a veteran group attached to a certain way of doing things. Many teams operate this way. Spending years in the league has a way of crystallizing habits and, with them, expectations. It wasn't really Lillard's place to challenge them. He just wanted to find his footing. And then once I got a little comfortable, I have a, little, a conversation here and there with people. Um, just because I think it's important, it was important for me to allow them to get to know what kind of person I was. So they didn't look at me like, oh, this this, this guy is some rookie coming in, thinking he's going to be, you know, all that or whatever. I wanted them to know, look, I work hard. I got on the court. I worked hard. Um, when people asked me questions, I gave them information about me, like this is who I am. And... Uh, then I backed up. This is when I told him this is who I am. Then I showed him with my actions, like, over time. But it was that simple. That same formula has worked for Lillard for years. He expresses his honest intentions, he backs them up as best he can, and in the process, those paying attention get a clearer sense of who he is. Back then, that meant conveying that he was the kind of rookie who could be counted on. Lillard was a day-one starter for the Blazers, but there's a material difference between getting minutes and really having a team's trust. In Portland, the way for Lillard to do that was to prove that he could make life easier for the team's unequivocal star, LaMarcus Aldridge. I was always trying to figure out how can I help L.A. get going? You know, how can I be the best complimentary piece to L.A. as possible? Like, that was my only 
that was like my biggest thing. I wanted, like, I'm not here to make this team about me or to take nobody's shine or nothing like that. I just wanted to be the best compliment to LaMarcus. Lillard lived up to his end of the bargain. He averaged 19 points and seven assists a game that season while completely refreshing the Blazer offense. Portland's days of starting Raymond Felton at point guard were thankfully over. And all Lillard really wanted in return was guidance. I was literally telling my friends, like, I'm about to play with LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, I'm about to be playing with L.A. He's an all-star, he this, he that, you know what I'm saying? So I was excited, and I was really looking forward to him, like, taking me under his wing as, like, his little brother. Like, we're going to be going to dinner on the road, we're going to be hanging out, and, you know, he's going to introduce me to to this, like, and help me get to the level as a guard. And we're going to be this one-two punch, and we're going to be the biggest tandem in the league. Like, that's that was my thinking. It just never happened. Aldridge, as it turned out, didn't have much interest in being a mentor. That's not some great failing. This is seven years into his NBA career, right in the heart of his playing prime. And there's really nothing wrong with the idea that he would want to do his job and go home. That he would treat work as work. Something to take seriously, but also something that falls within pretty specific boundaries. Aldridge never saw it as his purview to chaperone this rookie point guard around, and so he and Lillard stayed co-workers. And after three years of working together, Aldridge moved on. I tell people all the time, I really loved playing with LaMarcus. Like, I thought we, we played really well together. You know, and if it was up to me, he, I, I didn't want him to leave. I mean, I told him that. So every time I was asked a question, I, that's really how I felt. I wanted him to stay there because I felt, you know, we could have won a championship together. They never really had that chance. And as tends to happen when star players go separate ways, those on the outside started filling in the gaps with what they believed to be true. A lot of it came back to one particular assumption, that the pride and the confidence that arose in Lillard, the same qualities that made him one of the league's top guards, that must have rubbed Aldridge the wrong way. The reality was a bit less interesting. We had a good relationship. Me and him never had a single argument. We never had a single disagreement. Like people wanted to make it more about me and him than it really was. We never had a, a single issue. You know, I think it was just one of those situations where the gossip got the best of the situation. People started assuming this, assuming that, saying things. And then all of a sudden it became the truth. For every Shaq and Kobe, there are dozens of colder, more indifferent breakups. Star players on the same team don't have to be best friends. And when they do split, odds are that it wasn't because of some growing toxicity. It's always much harder for a team to hold itself together than to pull itself apart. All for perfectly valid reasons. Clearly something about Lillard and the Blazers left Aldridge wanting. And Lillard, by his own admission, wanted more from Aldridge than Aldridge seemed willing to give. Lillard took that to heart. He stepped into the void that Aldridge left behind, but he aimed to fill it in a completely different way. The old rules were thrown out, and old habits with them. At the same time, Portland's roster turned over to a younger core, the kind that could easily connect with someone like Lillard. And it did. 
The Blazers gradually turned into the kind of team that loiters around the practice facility after sessions. They started meeting up in the offseason for group workouts at Lillard's invitation. Change came quickly, in part because the roster itself was redesigned in Lillard's image. Aldridge left. Nicholas Batum was traded. Wesley Matthews and Robin Lopez moved on. Everything came back to Lillard. And through that, the Blazers also empowered C.J. McCollum. The timing had worked out kind of perfectly. McCollum had played the best basketball of his young career in the 2015 playoffs, and he was poised for a huge increase in role, all thanks to some pretty basic math. This is how McCollum put it when Portland was heading into its first season without Aldridge. I would hope I get more attempts. I mean, LA was getting 18, Wes was getting a lot, and these guys are gone. So, I mean, in a, in a normal world, you know, the pecking order would, would change a little bit. And if we lost 60 shots, you know, the wealth has to be spread out. And I would hope I'm in line to, to receive some of that. McCollum has been a different player ever since. He's averaged better than 20 points a game every season, and in 2016, he signed a four-year, $106 million contract to stay in Portland. Scoring guards like Lillard and McCollum could easily get in each other's way. But for the most part, they don't. And as people, they choose to work on their games together. These two had a relationship before McCollum was even in the league, and Lillard was among the first to blow up McCollum's phone on draft night. And even though Lillard had established himself on a different level from McCollum, he chose to share a lot of his creative responsibilities. Players recognized that in each other. And so when McCollum signed that new deal with the Blazers, he explained his decision this way. I'm thankful for the opportunity and looking forward to building something special with this young core group of guys we have. I think we're going to be very good. We have a lot of work ethic, a lot of guys who are unproven, had one year of success and looking forward to continuing to, to have success and continuing to kind of build a, a lasting legacy in the NBA. And I think that's the type of attitude all our players have, starting with Dame, a guy who's come from a small school, who's earned everything he's received and, and looks forward to kind of continuing to, to build and continuing to win. That following year, Portland traded for center Yusuf Nurkic, and Lillard found himself fully on the other side of a familiar dynamic. Nurkic was tough and proud and clearly talented, and he came to Lillard and the Blazers in search of something. There was an opportunity there for Lillard to make good on what Aldridge never did. So when Nurk came and he kind of looked at me, I could tell he looked at me that way. I was like, I'm not going to let this slip because I know the impact I can have on him. And I want him to know, look, I'm here for you. Let's go to dinner. Come to my house. You know, all this stuff, I'm all over it because... That's what I wanted from him. And with choices like that, Lillard made the Blazers his own. just what happens when you're an all-star. It comes with the all-NBA selections and the buzzer beaters and the signature shoe. And the deeper he gets into the league, the more Lillard feels his newest teammates sizing him up. It's been funny for me because when guys come in, they're looking at me like, man, it's Dame Lillard. 
like they look at me like I'm somebody. And a lot of times I assume guys are gonna come in and look at me like, I wonder if he really that good. So I wonder if they think that about me, but the way they are towards me and the way they look at me, I can tell they're looking at me like he's somebody, like he's at that level. And I can have a great impact on people, you know what I'm saying? And I I feel that it's very necessary for me to, to do that, to, you know, try to uh, do as much as I can in those situations. And that's where he's different. Lillard is one of the most accommodating stars in the league. If you're traded to Portland midseason, he wants you to step into the locker room without missing a beat. If you sign with the Blazers on a 10-day contract, he wants you to feel like you've been there for years. I mean, I think it's, it's great because it's done collectively. It's not like I got to go be this great leader and be like, all right, this is our team. This is how you get in good with the guy. You know what I mean? I, I don't have to do that because we just, everybody is really good people. So we just break guys right in, you know. It's, it's funny because every time we get a new player and they come around, we don't do this big introduction like welcome to the team and all that stuff. We treat them as if they've always been here. The way the Blazers welcome you is by dropping any performance of a welcome in the first place. Right off the bat, they're cracking jokes. The kind that pull somebody into a group rather than bully them out. The goal is to be as above board as possible. And the result, according to McCollum, is this. We all got along well. Everybody spoke their minds. Nobody was afraid to say, you know, certain things. If somebody played bad or if, if somebody wasn't doing things the right way, you, you could address it and nobody would, you know, frown or, or look at you the wrong way. That same direct approach informed Lillard's meeting with Allen as well. The star point guard could have stewed quietly or requested a trade. But instead, he met with the team owner face-to-face to suss out what could be holding Portland back. Reportedly, everything was fair game for discussion, from the team's underwhelming play this season to potential trade targets. And when he was asked about the meeting, Lillard defended it as a pragmatic exercise. He said, I don't think there's anything wrong with communication. So many of the problems in the league could be easily resolved if everyone were just straightforward about how they felt and what they wanted. But in most cases, they're not because this is a workplace, and that's how it goes. Portland can't root out all of those issues, but Lillard and his teammates do their best to at least remove some of the nagging doubt. You kind of eliminate all the whispers and the the second guessing that a guy might have coming into a locker room because it's automatically, they get welcomed into everybody's real self. Like Baz will come in the locker room and Baz is gonna be himself. I'm going to come in the locker room, I'm going to be myself. Ed is going to be himself. And for a newcomer, you're just kind of walking into like, all right, well, they're not, they're not hiding. And it's like, this dude just did this right in front of me. He said this in front of me. It's just, and I think there's a level of comfort that you get from, from guys showing you their real self, regardless of, you know, if you knew or whatever the circumstances might be of you coming in. A lot of thought goes into the way Lillard operates and a great deal of care. He spends time getting to know the people around him because he believes it's important, less as the leader of a team than as a human being. So every rookie, every undrafted free agent, every member of the support staff, they become a part of the group. Camaraderie becomes its own kind of intimacy. I don't treat people for any way because of what their situation might be. I think it's important because we share so much of our personal space. 
six showers, you, know, you you share a shower with these dudes. You sharing a hot tub and cold tub and an airplane. You sleeping around these dudes and a locker room. You, I mean, just it's so much. It's so um, sentimental, you know, where it's just like they know a lot about you. You know, they they're around you more than your family is around you. So you want to you want to be familiar with these people regardless. And the way to become familiar is to create the kind of environment where everyone can be forthcoming. Typically for us, we just ask people questions. Easy enough. So take Evan Turner, who joined the team in 2016 as a free agent. When Turner showed up at the facility, Lillard approached him with two goals in mind. First was to let Turner know that the Blazers don't wear jewelry on the practice court, citing his earrings. And second, to learn as much as he could about who Turner was and where he was coming from. You know, I asked him, how was Indiana? You know what I'm saying? Like, why did you, why you end up leaving? Why did Philly end up getting rid? Like, I asked him questions about his situations, and then he'll ask me, you know, how was it playing with LaMarcus? And whatever, like, it was just a conversation to start, and we'll learn things about each other that way. I guess everything is on the table, and it's like that with every guy that comes here. That Lillard often opens the conversation with new teammates gives them license to respond. There's an immediate opening to ask questions and to gauge Lillard's opinion on things. And some of Lillard's credibility as a leader comes from making that first frank contact. There are plenty of stars who feed into their own mystique. Team policies don't apply to them. Lesser players are kept at a remove. They make themselves unapproachable. And in doing so, they gain authority, but lose engagement. Think about the way Portland plays. Terry Stotts has designed his offense to move. Lillard and McCollum will get their shots, but along the way, Al Farouk Aminu will get touches. Pat Connaughton will have his chance to make some plays. Ed Davis will be purposefully involved. These are matters of practical philosophy, because even though Lillard could create his own shot, he might get a better one if he works off the ball. And some teammate might screen harder or make that extra effort on defense later in the game if they feel like their minutes really mean something. These ideas share a particular outlook on how teams function. The talent and the fit have to be there. But they promise something different in cases of genuine connection. of a star making their teammates better is baked into the way we think about basketball. It's impossible to watch LeBron James without seeing just how easy he makes the game for Kevin Love and J.R. Smith. It's almost like a different game when every pass is delivered to you on time and on target. Lillard is not that kind of playmaker, but he does facilitate, often long before he and his teammates ever take the court. My dad told me when I got drafted that one of the best things you'll be able to do with this blessing is impact other people. And you never know what type of impact you can have on anybody that comes through the locker room. When you have the respect of your peers that Lillard does, that impact can be profound. It can coax out new dimensions in the play of his teammates. It can give perspective to a blazer who needs it. Or it could help steady a prospect on the fringes of the league. Someone like... Tim Quarterman. Uh, he was a rookie on our team last year, and 
he came in, he was just this, you know, he's a tough dude and, uh, you know, didn't have a great idea about a lot of things in, in professional sports. And he came from the hood. And I'm from, I'm from East Oakland. I know a, a lot of his, his mannerisms, his demeanor, you know, his approach to things. I knew where that came from because I was, that's how I feel on the inside before I had enough time um, in college and enough time, like, in the league. I was looking at him like, man, I – I know where he got all this stuff from. I know why he feel and think the way he think. Those qualities were so clear to Lillard because on some level, they were still a part of him too. Lillard is nothing if not resolute. He plays with a conviction that's clear to even the most casual observer. And living with that level of certainty can be difficult to reconcile with the learning curve of a young professional. That's who Lillard was. I just felt like... I was so tight with everything that I, everything that I come from um, is in me. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's, it's such a huge part of who I am that I felt like this is all I need. As long as I got this, all this other stuff is not important. And now I understand like you're gonna be a father someday. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to take care of people someday, and you're gonna it's it's gonna be so much other stuff that you're gonna be responsible for that. You know, that mentality and all that stuff, it, it got you here, but it's not going to allow you to completely to become the complete person that you need to become as an adult, as a father, as the head of a family, um, as somebody that your younger cousins can look up to. I think that's the biggest thing is my growth from being a young kid that was just like taking all this pride and I'm from Oakland, I'm tough. And I've been in the streets with all my friends, it's hard dudes and all this stuff. I'm built for this. You know, to the more of the the intellectual side, where it's like, yeah, well, I am built for anything. You know, I can I can be a lot better than this. You know what I'm saying? I can be in any room. I can I can function at the table with billionaires, and I can also go back to the neighborhood. But it's it's very important to be able to do both um, instead of thinking that you have everything with just your um, your foundation. Even though your foundation is super important, there's so much more things that you need to build on top of that to, to be the best form of yourself. Part of becoming a pro is realizing that the vehicles that got you into the league are often obsolete by the time you get there. The way you carried yourself, the way you prepared, the way you played, almost all of it has to change. The ones who succeed are those who separate. And in Lillard's case, he tried to impart that message with Quarterman as best he could. When the entire team gathered in San Diego before the start of training camp, Lillard pulled Quarterman aside to talk. And like to this day, I'm checking on him, asking what's going on. And I'm kind of not holding his hand, but he know he got my support. And, you know, sometimes he'll reach out to me and ask questions. You know, he cares about my opinion. And that's just somebody's situation that I knew that I could have an impact on, you know, regardless of how long his career might be or or anything. I know that I could, you know, really have an effect on, you know, what direction he goes in. Quarterman didn't stick with the Blazers, but Lillard's guidance stands on its own. Attitude, approach, these are the things that players can control. They're the things that can get you a job and help you keep one, even if it's not in Portland. But some of the most dangerous influences in the NBA tend to work from the outside in seeping into a team and breaking it apart. You turn on the TV now and people are saying, well, this team should do this. And they should move this guy. 
this guy's hurting the team. Or somebody might ask me, who do you think your team should bring in? And I say a guy at somebody else's position. And it's like, oh, now that guy might be feeling some way because I basically said, you know, somebody could do his job better than him. This, in a nutshell, is why players are so distrustful of the media. They know the game that's being played, and they know why a certain strain of coverage always goes back to the same divisive narratives. The fake trades, the pecking order, and the harping on intangibles. But those players are also human. They may be wise to the way stories are being massaged, but they still hear their play being criticized on TV, or see their teammates called out in print. They check their Twitter mentions, just like everyone else, and they see a constant stream of bile. Fans are desperate to tell them, in the loudest possible way, what they consider to be the problem. And if you think that noise goes away when a team is winning, well, you must be new here. CJ could play great and have a big game, and then they want to say, well, who's better, Dame or CJ? You know what I'm saying? When really, it's not important. You know, we're two dominant guards, and we need each other to win anyway. So why does it matter? You know, why does it matter who's better, Shaq or Kobe? Why does it matter who's better, Steph or KD, or Russ or KD? Or, one might ask, Dame or LaMarcus? It doesn't matter because they need each other. But it's stuff like that that people say and throw out there and put it out there and then everybody jump on it. Then they make it an issue. It didn't matter whose team it was, me or LaMarcus. I didn't care. He probably didn't care. And But they put it out there and they made people believe it. You can see why they might. There's enough on-court beef in the NBA to suggest that more might be just out of view. Someone's not getting the ball enough. Someone else isn't playing as much as they'd like. Another player might just not like the way he's being spoken to. There's a lot of potential for friction in the heat of a game and one unavoidable elephant in the room. The money. I mean, I I think everybody's aware of it. Players know who's about to become a free agent, and they know who just got paid. They know when similar players on another team got a bigger contract than them, they know when a teammate commanded a bigger deal than they did, and they know when their own team played hardball just because they could. We worked super hard. We worked our whole lives to be in this position. And, you know, you don't want to come in and, you know, you're seeing guys getting all these contracts, and you don't want to count other people's money or watch other people's money, but... You want to be rewarded. You want to make as much money as you possibly can before your career is over. Part of Lillard's job is reading the room with money in mind. It finds its way into everything. That teammate who felt like they weren't getting their touches, they might just be anxious about testing the market this summer. The guy who doesn't feel like he's playing enough, he might just want to quiet the critics of that new contract he just signed. Sometimes a guy might love playing where he's playing, but another team can pay him more money. I think as a leader, you just understand that sometimes guys have to move on. You know, you if it's any time to be selfish, you know, I think that's the time. You know, when you just got to make a decision that's your life. It's hard not to take that personally when the guy leaving is your teammate, but Lillard knows the score. A franchise might put on a great show to make it seem like a family, but there are cold, calculated decisions to be made on all sides. If a team says, all right, We can get LeBron James. Damian Lillard loves Portland. He loves being here. He's been great. But we want LeBron James. They're going to give me up. You know what I'm saying? Because that's LeBron James. And it's like, 
that's a business decision that they have to make selfishly for for the organization. And I think as a leader, you got to respect when guys make that same decision for themselves. That's that's the time to be selfish. What bothers Lillard is when people try to tiptoe around the issue as if it weren't the league's primary driving force. There's no reason to pretend otherwise. Even players who want to stay with a team might not, for the sake of 5 or 10 or $20 million. How could that kind of money not matter? I deal in reality. You know, if I know one of my teammates is having a great season and he's going to be a free agent, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there's a 100% chance, you know, you're going to be on this team next year. If the topic comes up, we'll talk about it as real as it'll be. I'm not going I'm not comfortable when the conversation becomes fake and we got to skip stuff and not talk about this, but we can talk about that. Remember what Lillard said, everything is on the table. And getting an element this significant out in the open gets ahead of it. If you can make a team's financial reality just another part of the conversation, then you can square away some otherwise troublesome dynamics. Speaking with that kind of candor has become a radical act. But all Lillard wants is for it to feel normal. Let's turn back the clock. It's March of 2016. We we were struggling, and we had an East Coast road trip. I think we played Indiana, Detroit, New York... I forget who the other teams was. First it was Chicago, and then the Blazers finished their tour of the Eastern Conference by going through Boston and Toronto. It was a slog of a road trip. Six games in nine days. But I remember in that trip, I was scoring 30 points every game because we were struggling, and I told myself, I was like, I'm going to just dominate. I'm going to come on, kill everybody, and I was just 30, 30, 30. And Lillard kept it going at the Garden, dropping 24 points on the Knicks in the first half. Post-ups. Lillard step back jumper on Calderon is good. And Dane, you kind of figured, came out of that huddle, said maybe it's time I flex a little bit. Especially against Calderon. He'll hit the rim. Another opportunity. Lillard trying to go for the three. Galloway trying to fight through the pick. Dame a little off balance. He's got 24 points on 7 of 10 shooting. He was one came out in the third quarter, and I was like, we need to win this game. So I'm just going to stay being aggressive and try to finish him off. I come off. Hit a three. The next possession, I was like, I'm, I'm just finna keep feeling it. I come off, and it was like, the crowd was going crazy. Like, they was just showing me extra love. I'm already having a great stretch of games. I was having a great game. And the entire game, Mason Plumley was the one setting screens. He just was getting me open over and over. Yeah, dang, like hyped me up. So after I hit that three in the, in the third quarter, I come off again. I got a chance to raise up for another one, but both guys come to me. So my man fight over the screen, and Mason's man is the one who contested the shot. And it was like, I knew both of them was guarding me, but I was like, in my mind, I was feeling it. So I raise up, I shoot it again, but I knew Mace was wide open. The floor was, was spaced, it was all that. Mace diving right down the middle, wide open. I let it go, I miss. They get the rebound. Ball get tipped or something, go out of bounds. Timeout. We walk into the bench, Mason's like, damn, you got to make that pass. He yell at me. And I yell back at him like, I was hot. So, so we go back and forth. And I was just like, 
we went to the bench and me and him, like we, we had great communication with each other. And that was like the first time he said something to me, I said something back. We got on the bench and I was just sitting there and I was like a little bit frustrated that we just had like a little back and forth. And the longer I sat there, I was just like, I was thinking to myself like that was a great opportunity for you to give up some, you know what I'm saying? You gonna get way more shots than he is. You get way more credit than he gets. You feeling it in the garden. It's a whole quarter and a half to go. Like you could have gave that one up. And you know, for him to have that reaction that wasn't like him, that was a chance that I had to kind of give him a piece. I could have gave up that one shot that didn't even go in for him. He would have had a dunk, you know, that's his game. And I just, I just felt bad that we even had that back and forth. You know, I think as a leader, I always already get a lot of credit for when things go well. Um, I get a lot of credit for um, being consistent. And some guys never get credit, you know, even though like Mace, like I said, he's getting me open every time, setting screens, sprinting the court, um, calling out screens. He's doing all this stuff that he may not get credit for. And he says something to me, and that was a perfect opportunity for me to just be like, my bad. You know what I'm saying? I, I got you on the next one. I shouldn't have took that shot. There's the big secret to Lillard's magnetism and the thing that makes it so difficult to replicate. Some guys just get it. Lillard will say the wrong thing or push the wrong buttons, but he always circles back with a wider lens. This is a player notorious for fueling himself on perceived slights. The chip on his shoulder is preposterously large. And yet he balances those deeply personal, ego-driven motivations with the unsaid needs of the team around him. I know in my heart that it's not selfish. And I think because of the amount of sacrifice and the conversations I have with my teammates individually and when I'm speaking to the group, and like I said earlier, how I back it up with my actions, playing the right way, showing up every day, working hard. I'm not sitting out of practice. I mean, I think it's, it's a lot of things you can do with your actions that can show the people that you're around and the people that, that witness things that, all right, when I say this, they know it's not coming from a selfish place. That context is everything. Because even when Lillard looks the part of a gunner, there's so much more in play. You wouldn't know that the way he's getting open comes from something McCollum showed him on the team plane, telestrating on an iPad. You might not realize how far Lillard had gone to earn the respect of his teammates in the first place the same ones who are now feeding him for shot after shot. Lillard's game is easy to appreciate, but it's his humanity that makes him easy to follow. The best example I can give you is we signed uh, Tim Frazier. He was in Philly, um, getting waived, get signed, getting waived. Went to training camp with Boston, got cut. Um, went to the D-League, he was D-League rookie of the year and D-League MVP in the same year. We have an injury, Wes Matthews go down. We signed Tim to, for the rest of the season, last maybe 10 games of the regular season. He stayed with us in the playoffs, and then into my fourth year, he was there like up to the All-Star break. I could easily been like, man, this dude, another point guard, 10 day, he ain't get drafted, whatever. Tim is one of my best friends to this day. Not one of my best friends in the NBA, one of my best friends. Like in the summer, I'll be with Tim every day. During the season, we talk all the time. He'll text me at halftime, like, what you see. He know I'm watching his games. He, I know he's watching my games. Like, I don't go hang out with players on plenty. It's me and Tim will go to dinner, like, the night before a game. They played in Portland one year. We went skating after the game. 
You know, Tim is a super intelligent guy. Maybe he's a GM one day. Maybe his career doesn't go as long as mine, and he's a GM, and I'm on my way out, and I'm trying to give me another job. He might hold my job in his hand, you know what I'm saying? So you, you just never know. There's so many situations that, that could come up. So um, I try to treat everybody with respect, you know, and I, I'm also curious about people's story, you know, and their situation, because I know that I'm very fortunate to be a lottery pick and to be an all-star, to have a max contract. You know, that's what everybody hopes for. But that just because a lot of guys don't get those things doesn't mean that they're less worthy or, you know, they're not as important. Thanks for listening. Breakaway will continue in two weeks with another exploration of the NBA world. Subscribing through iTunes or your favorite podcast app is the easiest way to keep up, but every episode will also be available on si.com. In the meantime, please help us spread the word to anyone you think might enjoy this podcast. And consider leaving us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to breakawaypod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Rob Mahoney. Breakaway is produced by me, Rob Mahoney, with special thanks to Matt Dollinger and Ben Eagle. Until next time.